Welcome to Ear Full of Dirt, bringing you the latest Major League Rugby news, views, and abuse. Now here are your hosts, Aaron, Dan, and Victor. How's it going, everyone? Uh, tonight, uh, we're having a special guest, hopefully a recurring guest at some point. Uh, Grant Cole will be with us this evening to talk about Hurricane Harvey relief and all the great stuff that the rugby community is doing uh, on relief of, you know, the great state of Texas. Then we'll take a look at where MLR might be headed in the next few years, hit on some expansion possibilities, some stadium stuff, foreign confidence, uh, questions from Bob, the tweet of the week, and even more today on episode three. Victor, to you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. Good evening. So, once again, guys, we now have today the famous Mr. Grant Cold, who, by the way, is a rugby commenter and a writer for the famous website, This Is Texas Rugby, which I recommend you to visit, by the way, quite often as well, to stay up to date on the hottest topics surrounding rugby in the beautiful state of Texas, Lone Star State. Grant, sir, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Victor, for having me. I've, I've looked forward to uh, the possibility of being on Air Full of Dirt. You know, I've always uh, said that the group of enthusiasts who first get together and start talking about rugby in the USA the way you guys are doing are the ones who are going to be on the cutting edge. And, and I really admire that about you. I feel kind of alone sometimes. I'm just out there talking about Texas rugby and nothing else. But you guys are really out there. You're connecting from all across the country together and you're talking about something that isn't even run up and running yet, which is almost unbelievable. And if you talk to the guys in the MLR like I do, they really love what you're doing. They think this is the kind of stuff that they wanted to see after the league started. But they're really happy to see that it's happening even before the league gets going. Thank you for your kind words, sir. Thank you for your kind words. Yeah. Uh, so thanks, Grant. And uh, like, Go ahead and feel free to say and throw in your opinion later on. But the, the big stuff is uh, uh, the big stuff is what what's going on in Houston. And I've been, you know, we've all been, we all have seminal control over our, our social media. So we've been retweeting everything you've been putting out, everything rugby relief has been putting out. But um, the the response effort that the rugby community is throwing together is amazing it, it really is Aaron uh you know seeing some I've laid some challenges out there to some people who you know really should be challenged on what they can do with their with their pocketbooks or with their volunteer time and it, it's being answered in spades and I just I, I'm flabbergasted by what's happening so if you guys haven't if anybody who's watching this hasn't caught on yet you go to rugbyrelief.org forward slash Harvey and that's going to take you to a page where you can read about what's going on with rugby release efforts at, in response to Hurricane Harvey. And, you know, if you've been living under a rock for the past week or you've been in a coma or whatever, then you don't know that Hurricane Harvey basically dumped a thousand year flood on southeast Texas. And when I say southeast Texas, I'm talking not just Texas, but Louisiana. I mean, you had flooding in from north from New Orleans all the way down the coast to Rockport in, in Corpus Christi. Houston got hit particularly hard. Maybe that's a way of geography more than anything, but it, it got hit pretty, pretty hard. And uh, a lot of the reasons Houston's getting some of the first news about it is because 6.1 million people live in this county. Now, over 11.9 million people were affected overall, and, and that's a huge number. It's kind of hard for us to wrap our head around. Uh, but there's a lot of people displaced from their homes. There are homes that have been inundated with water. And when I say inundated, I don't just mean a foot or two of water in the house. I'm talking there are homes that were the water was in their second story. And it, it, yeah, you had a foot of water in the second floor. Yeah. So, um, you know, my kid, he's been out there in the in the fields for four days now, ripping drywall out of houses, ripping uh, uh, uh carpet and carpet padding out of houses, taking furniture out for people. And these are people who've just lost everything. I mean, literally their baby books are gone. Uh, all their pictures are ruined. There's just, you know, there's nothing left to their life anymore. 
their favorite chair is not even there. I mean, how many of us have a favorite chair we sit back on and watch the game in? It, 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 all that stuff that we're used to is gone. So what Rugby Relief does is they help these people reclaim their homes, reclaim their lives, uh, and they try to do it in a respectful way, understanding that these people are have lost everything. And the reason it's rugby is because Justin Pigeon and Mickey Buttons and Lars Sal and uh, Sarah Drake and Maddie Winstein and Chief, I can't remember Chief's last name, I can't even pronounce it, but she's a, <laughs> she, she's a master chief, I think, in the Coast Guard. And uh, – they all got together and said, hey, you know, we can make we can make a difference. And in the Baton Rouge floods of about a year and a half ago, I believe, they got in there with uh, and, and, and helped 40 homes get re de- get demoed and ready for rehab, taking the mold out, taking all the critters out. That get you, You'd be amazed. My son taking drywall out, out of the house the other day found a, a snake's nest with two eggs in it. <laughs> So, I mean, no, yeah. no, so, I mean, there's all kinds of challenges to doing this kind of work. And Rugby Relief is, they're made up of some people who have all done this work separately themselves, and they came together to do it in Baton Rouge and to help out. They got 120 volunteers overall to come in over a few weeks. They worked on 40 homes with 120 volunteers. Well, we don't even have all the water receded in Brazoria County yet. That's the county just south of Harris County. There's there's still homes in Brazoria County that have eight foot of water in it. And, you know, once we get done with Houston, we're just going to have to move south and east over to the Beaumont area and down to Brazoria County and start working on those homes as well and helping these people reclaim them if they can. If it's not just, you know, they're going to have to have their homes bulldozed down for some reason. And that's terrible if you think about it. And, and so this is what Rugby Relief does. They bring volunteers in. A lot of times they reach out to the rugby community, but they'll take any volunteers who want to sign up. Uh, Aaron, you did uh, you did some work this week. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, so if anyone is into the supplement industry, uh, there's a, fr- a friend of mine. I would like to – he's a friend of mine because I know him. His name is Mark Lobliner. Uh, he runs, he's the chief marketing officer of tigerfitness.com and he owns several supplement brands. The biggest one that people may or may not know is called MTS nutrition. He just did a big fundraiser for the Semper Fi fund a couple weeks ago, raising $60,000 uh, for an event called real weights for real heroes. And he, you know, on Twitter, he's like, Hey, I'm going to Houston. I just need to know who to go with. And I said, Hey, Mark, these are good people go with them and you know got got everything got all the connections crossed out the i's and dot the t's and he's going to get picked up by the folks at rugby relief on the 13th of september and stay there until things until the last possible moment on the 15th doing work with rugby relief so you have high level corporate executives with multiple companies in the inc 500 willing to go and help. And I don't know many others like that, but you know, so it's like, he's a good person. So what did I say? I need to hook him up with good people that I may not know, but I have indirect connections with, cause I know Grant and Grant knows all these people. So I know they're gonna be good people and he'll be taken care of. And my friend Mark will be able to get things done the right way, so. Well, and one of the things I hope to do while Mark's here is get him on the tech, this is Texas Rugby Facebook Live in the uh, hopefully from the war room there at uh, the Strikers offices, and have him talking with me about rugby relief and his experiences there. Uh, you know, Mark Lobliner, Lop, Lop, uh, you know, he's skipping Olympia Week, Mister Olympia Week, to yeah. come to this. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. this uh, is that's some serious business for him. Yeah, like so he likes to meet people, you know, I've gone to, I've gone to a fit expo. He likes to talk to his customers. I mean, he interacts with his customers via email, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, he will respond. But the Olympia is like the Olympia and the Arnold are probably the two biggest shows that there's stuff going on, but he'll be in meetings for half that time and making deals. And if you're in the supplement industry, you go to those trade shows to make money, not just to meet 
your customers and your fan base, but to make money. So for him, he put fixing Houston above an event where he could, you know, make a significant deal. And that says a lot. And it means that he has to put in work, you know, weeks after the fact, but you know, when you're running, when you're running like crazy, like him and, you know, the Tony Rednells of the world, high performing corporate level executives, you don't sleep much. You don't need sleep that much. You've just evolved to that lifestyle and you run at full speed for 20, 21 hours a day. Well, I can't wait to meet him. I think that uh, Mark Lovliner is definitely a real American hero in this respect. I can't imagine giving up the kind of business that he could make at Olympia to come and give of himself like that. And that's just that's some serious stuff. And, that, and that's that's the volunteerism we're talking about. And one of the things that, like, if you listen to Sam Windsor and Matt Truville talk about on our on our cast we did the last two days, they talk about the inclusiveness of rugby. And we all know the four of us are here mainly because this is the inclusiveness of rugby, right? And oh, yeah. rugby relief is the same way. We don't really care if you're a rugby-related person and your house needs help. Just about on every case, we've gone to somebody's house that knows somebody in rugby or is related to somebody in rugby. We start working on those those houses, and we just start working down the street. It's just, you know, goes on like that. Yeah, we get calls in, and people request our help through the website, but it, it's not. it doesn't really matter how they get to us. It matters that we're out there doing the work in the fields, and, and that's that's really important. And I, I really think it's it's important that the strikers – have donated uh, their space. I mean, these are nice offices, okay? These are nice, nice offices. And uh, that's pretty important, right? That they, that they, uh, that they, that they lower their space. Uh, and, and so it's really nice. Uh, Dan Payne, you know, I contacted Dan Payne right after this worked, but uh, right after this all started and said, hey, is there any way we can leverage our Gatorade partnership with, uh, with, you know, with USA Rugby to help these guys out. And you know what? Payne came through, okay? I got to say, he and his interns came through. Kevin Shellac at PepsiCo, he's a he's Gatorade sports marketing uh, professional to NFL and NCAA football, okay? That's his job. <laughs> this is a guy who's pretty high up. He orders. Three pallets of Gatorade, one fruit punch, one orange, one lemon lime, five cases of, of six-gallon powder mixes, five cases, 10-gallon cooler, 10 10-gallon coolers for the powder, mix it once, 532-ounce squeeze bottles, 20,000 cups, and 300 towels just to send to help rugby relief. And that's the kind of response we're getting. And it's really important that those kind of responses keep on coming because the longer they come, the more money we're able to, to the more stuff we get in supply-wise, the more money the rugby relief gets in so that they can buy supplies, the more volunteers that they can call on and, and, and support while they get out there and do the work. So that's really important. Rugbyrelief.org slash Harvey. There are four buttons there for volunteers, for hosts, for donations, and for requesting help. Please, if you uh, want to do your part here, that's where you go. It, for, hey, for Grant, me, I was going to ask oh. you, too. Uh, sorry about that, Aaron. So you mentioned uh, you got the four buttons there, and you do have an opportunity for folks to help out. So I'm not a CEO, and I'm not sure I can make it to Texas anytime soon. Mm-hmm. What's my involvement? How can I uh, contribute to this relief effort? So any of your donations. The so one thing about uh, rugby relief I like is these – the members, the guys who run it, the, well, the guy and girls who run it, uh, they don't take any pay from this. Every every cent you give goes to supporting the operations of rugby relief. And the operations are people in the field. They're buying wheelbarrows. They're buying face masks. They're buying gloves. You're buying tape and trash bags and sledgehammers and crowbars and brooms. You're buying all that stuff that's needed to actually get the work done in these houses. So if you give $10, you know, maybe it's just $10, but that's two brooms. Okay. You know that. So you, so if you go to the donate button and you can't come in and help uh, that, and that's fine, but you want to, you want to help out some way, give $2 or $10 or you know, whatever. And you're helping these guys in their operations. So for me, like you, you talked about how the, the strikers donated 
office space. I when I was trying to I was trying to word the post on our earful of dirt Facebook page about it. I didn't like the word donate, and I'm I understand this is semantics, but the strikers have made themselves a part of their community. Like they've made themselves a part of the rugby community. So I said deployed. So they deployed office space as a command center for rugby relief. Because, that would be accurate. Because they know who their community is and they're committing resources that they have that are unique to the area. So they're like, hey, this is yours. Let's go. So are you guys familiar with what CBRE is? No, unfortunately. CBRE is – they are a uh, commercial real estate service company, and they're, they're worldwide. They're a global company, and they actually own and operate the building that the strikers are in. So this is – it's not just the strikers giving this uh, – uh, deploying this, this, this space that, to help rugby relief. It's also CBRE. So because this is – everything that's in there has got their name on it, Okay. And, and uh, I mean, this is their use. This is their American, North American offices at Houston. So it's a pretty serious little, little digs there. I mean, it's, you saw, you saw it on some of the videos. That's a 50 person conference room with a uh, 10 foot screen behind you, a projection screen. And I mean, so it's, it's not a, it's an, it's a no joke there. Yeah. I just looked it up. So for all, for all the listeners that don't know, CBRE is uh, CBRE is, a publicly traded company, so they're they're pretty they're very large. Uh, you can find them on the New York Stock Exchange under CBG. So we're talking, you know, big movers are making big moves in Houston to help this relief effort. Yes, very much so. And you know, it's like you said, it's a community effort. And you know, you and I have talked about this over and over and over. And like we haven't heard of from it from the other from the other MLR teams, but I've I've already talked to people out there and different MLR teams, and they're all community oriented. We've already seen what Glendale does as far as community orientation, right? So so the model is already there; it's been laid out. What the strikers are doing is following the model to a T, and and because of their positioning as not being affiliated with anyone and willing to put themselves out there a bit they're they're you know it's a high risk high reward for them right they can put themselves out there and open themselves to all kinds of criticism or they can put themselves out there and really be careful about how they present themselves and what they're doing but make sure they're doing the right thing for the right reasons the right way and get a huge reward for it from it which i think is happening so in regards to like all the stuff that the strikers have done, I had only one criticism and that was at the beginning when their head coach was hired because, you know, I, I understand the Saracens, you know, they were, they were mid season. And I was like, this made no sense to me, but they're, it, the Saracens are a very strong organization and, you know, knowing who the now CEO is of the Seattle Seawolves, there was no, you know, bad blood. You know, they're all Ulstermen. Everything is good to go. The Saracens were a strong enough club to, you know, be able to let, you know, their four-year head coach go down to Houston to help build somebody else up. So that, so, and then I, I have, I'm more critical of the clubs I don't hear information from because they're, like, they're not out there. Whereas, like, Houston's in the media. This is, like, free pub when it comes to their use of the media, uh, their, their help with Hurricane Harvey, like this isn't, that's not about media. That's about our, our community and helping our people and doing what we can to help our people. So, but their just use of the media has been amazing. And this is all free media. As I, as I've talked about it on, you know, our Reddit page in our discussions, in my discussion, in the discussions with the team on earful of dirt that, you know, a sports, a local sports writer wants to write about local sports. So give him the opportunity. So he's not writing about, you know, some team, you know, 150 miles away or something like that. Cause like all these, well, so I love what they're doing. So I can tell you guys right now with Houston, I can promise you we've been swimming in the shallow end of the pool when it comes to news. Okay, 
Uh, yeah, I hope you guys got your flippers on and your floaties. <laughs> <laughs> because we're fixing to ride the wave. <laughs> I've already, I've already talked. Sorry, What's go that? ahead. I've already talking with two other teams and uh, about what they want to do when they come out with information. So I would say be be ready. Will do. Fantastic. Hey, Grant, one more question for you uh, regarding uh, Houston, the team, actual team. Were uh, were their facilities or their field impacted by the flooding at all? So right now, the the area where their field is going to be, where their stadium is going to be, was not impacted. Uh, that is a a place where when they were digging out parts of downtown Houston to put in several other infrastructures. Well, they got to do something with that dirt they dig out, right? And so what Houston typically does is they take that dirt they dig out, they move it out to the south end of town and have a piece of land that the city owns, and they dump it on and then even it out. Well, this is one of those pieces of land that got that about 20, 25 years ago when they were putting, when they were digging out 288. Now, if you don't know anything about Houston and 288, maybe you do if you watch the hurricanes, but 288, when it was dug out, it was designed to take, I want to say somewhere in a million of, in the in the uh, neighborhood of seven million hectares of surface water. Okay, so yeah, okay, <laughs> That's a lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> so so when it, when it, when the flood gauges when the when the rain gauges get to a certain point in Houston, uh, they turn the pumps on at Buffalo Bayou and at Braves Bayou, right there where they cross over two eighty eight. But before they do that, they have the police department going down, clearing it. As they clear 288, police cars are going to the tops of the uh, on-ramps or off-ramps and blocking them off so nobody can get on or off. And then a helicopter fly over to make sure there's no stranded vehicles. And then they turn the pumps on. And that that portion of 288 fills up. And, and it's, you know, it's two football fields wide and about seven miles long. So that, that was that's, actually planned. Because we, yeah, we saw a lot yeah. of those videos of the oh yeah if you see if you see places like 59 uh in the in the montrose district montrose didn't flood the reason montrose didn't flood which it used to flood all the time is because all that water goes into 59 and sits there until it can be pumped out safely they clear they clear the they clear the highway there and and so when they were digging all those those trenches out they had to put the dirt somewhere. They put it out south of town. The 34 acres that the strikers have right there south of Maori Road, uh, where Maori Road almost tees into 288, that little section of land between Maori and Sims Bayou there is theirs. And it's six, at least six foot taller than everything around it. So even when Sims Bayou gets out of its bank, it can't get over that. And they're going to build up on top of that. So... I'm not too worried about their facilities getting uh, getting over. Their facilities are actually higher than the Houston Sports Park, which is right next door to them. So this that, yeah, I think uh, Constellation Field, which is where they're going to play some of their first games before their facility is built, where they're going to play what they call their marquee games. Uh, it's a uh, baseball diamond out in Sugarland, and it's right in one of the bends of the Brazos River, and it's. I'm pretty sure Constellation Field has some water on it right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, you, we're gonna see we're gonna see their games there here. Uh, come, I think the first one they've told me is January 6, and uh, they won't tell me who it's against. Uh, but as soon as I know, you'll you'll know. Trust me. Um, and I, we're all supposed to know in a couple of weeks. All right, fantastic. Hey, anybody have anything else for Grant before we let him get back to uh, his hard work down there? No, I, like, like I said, Grant, if you want to stick around and, well, it seems Victor does, but like I said earlier, if you want to stick around and throw uh, some comments in, some snide remarks and insults at myself, uh, be, feel free and uh, handing off to Victor. Yeah, um, Grant, what you're saying is, is that the Houston's facilities are in a really good spot because they didn't get flooded with a hurricane, is what you're saying, correct? That's correct, Victor. Uh, basically, the way it's laid out, it's hard to get flooded. Now, wind out there is an issue. I, I will tell you that kicking at that at that stadium 
is going to be a, a, a dice throw. Okay. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> so, you know, you get, you get a lot of places in the city and you can, you can kick with, uh, with some relative, uh, of, of accuracy because of all the trees around, but there's no trees out there in the Southeast, Southeast part of town. And that wind's coming in off the Gulf and it hadn't hit any of the, any of the big bayous yet. So it can't dip down and, and have any eddies to where it stops it up. So it's just coming on in. And we'll be out there at the house, which is right next door to where their field's going to be. And you'll, you'll have a straight on kick from the 22 dead on in front of the post and have your best kicker out there kicking. And that wind will move that ball. <laughs> Man, poor fly halves. They're going to have a really bad day at, at, at hey, work. Games out there where the kick is uh, is nice and high it goes 10 meters and then the wind catches it and it goes to the 10 meter line on the backside of where it's kicked from. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, kickers are going to have some work. That's going to be a challenging thing. And, and talking, listening to uh, Justin talk about the kind of rugby he wants to play. I'm pretty sure that uh, if you want to kick against him, you're going to have a long day. <laughs> Seriously. So we had Justin and Justin and his wife Judy and their their daughter Grace over at the house last night with all the Cyfair Warriors for a team feed and uh, just uh, you know he's just a salt of the earth kind of guy he's 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 not your regular type he's your regular type of Irishman you know the guy you sit in a bar and have a drink with he's he's that he's that typical Irish prop and he's just so lovable so easy to talk to and uh, you know it, it's really nice having somebody like that at the house and just sitting down, enjoying food, enjoying beer with. In fact, I've still got about eight, eight to nine bottles of beer in the, in the fridge that he brought over last night. This <laughs> guy, Mr. Fitzpatrick. <laughs> well, you just let him know anytime he uh, wants to come on the show, uh, we'd love to have him. So next time you guys talk. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> okay. I, I, hey, don't, don't ask, don't ask. Hey, Aaron, <laughs> tell these people, don't ask anything of me you don't really want. <laughs> well, uh, let's just say once Grant like makes sure you're good to go, he hooks you up. So you better be ready to deliver on your ends. As a this isn't uh this isn't uh, a place for minnows. You better be willing to be a couple year old bass and swim up river because he's gonna throw you in deep. So um, so I think Victor, you've got we've got a few more ways we can support. Uh, the relief efforts in uh, for ru rugby relief. If you tell our folks about that before we get into our next topic, sounds good. Well, there are two shirts being sold to raise money for the, the relief efforts of Hurricane Harvey. So one is go is through uh, Austin Elite, which actually some of you noticed that I, I bought one myself. That's through the merch store. And and that's through the rugby relief charity, and there's another and so there's another one which is a group for uh, Austin Ruggers from the, the Hans Bakeries, and the the Blacks running and helping coordinate them themselves. Actually, that's just that, that one. And then there's another one from I think it's pronounced Treport. You guys correct me if I pronounce that, mispronounce that. Treport RFC, which is again selling a shirt to help raise money. And he also some very good. I, I'm sorry, say again, Grant. It, it's Shreveport, and Drew Tomzak, who is there, uh, who who set all that up, is the D2 conference uh, uh, representative for Red River. Ah, well, thank thank you for the correction there. It, and they also have some really cool. It's a really good kit, by the way. The, the shirt that they're selling as well. So if uh, you're watching online, those links are posted below. I made sure of it. And if it didn't come through, uh, I will make sure it's unscrewed. Uh, we have tweet tweeted and posted about them on the Facebook page earlier this week. Uh, I also purchased two of the Austin Elite and Rugby, Le Rugby Relief shirts together. So that, as my girlfriend says, you can buy as much rugby stuff as you want. You just know the tax, and the tax is buying her stuff too. <laughs> but uh, so the next topic, uh, Dan did a lot of homework, did a lot of homework this week, 
after Boston RFC uh, published their their new grounds. So the, the photos that you see, from what I can tell, and based on some dialogue on Facebook with Boston RFC, uh, is the club ground and what I would think will be the MLR training facility that's three – it's a multi-sport complex with three rugby pitches that will be all world rugby certified. There is also going to be a gymnasium and bar right there. But the interesting thing was, if you looked at the Union Point, Massachusetts real estate development is in the southwest corner. Is there what is what looked to be, I guess you could estimate probably a 10 to 15,000 uh, fan stadium in the Southeast corner of this development. And also across the way from that would be a minor league baseball field. So basically some discussions amongst the rugby, the rugby media, we, we did some digging. And then uh, if you go through the secretary of state uh, of Massachusetts, there is a new LLC filing for Boston rugby developments by a Mr. Jerry Shafir. And if you want to dig into him, well, let's just know that he sold a uh, a couple hundred million dollar company back in 2012. He's a Boston rugby football club old boy who's given back. He's uh, has a significant financial stake in this field that they're developing with Union Point. He donated a bunch of money, and I'm pretty sure he will be part of what we're estimating right now and guessing as an MLR group to come in the, in New England in 2019. Cause you don't just, for me, you don't just build a, uh, a, a three world, a three field world rugby specific uh, venue without st a stadium. And then you, then you go in head and look in the thing and there's another, there's another ground like, that would be on par with say Exeter in England with 15,000 seats off to Victor. So we've already discussed uh, earlier in the series about New York rugby club. So our rugby club, New York handled by uh, Mr. James Kennedy of the Murphy Kennedy group. So significant amount of money being thrown by what we think will be an MLR franchise in 2019. So Mr. Shafir, and I can't imagine that he's the only backer based on everything I understand about some of these other clubs. So there's, I think there's as much money between two clubs as probably three times what pro had behind it. So, so we're talking like, you know, over a billion dollars net worth between two clubs in this uh, organization based on my beer math and Creek don't rise is what I'm drinking. So Victor, yeah. What's your thoughts on okay. Boston? There we go. Sorry. <laughs> so cause I was thinking of something else and I completely lost the train of thought of my apologies. Well, in any case, going back to Boston. So how fun to think that Boston rugby and rugby club, in New York, Go enter the league at the same time, bringing that famous New York City Boston rivalry with them. It finally, from baseball and other other sports, finally to rugby union. Also, uh, because I heard people talk, tell, it just heard people talking about the see uh, Maryland Virginia area, which people sometimes refer to as the the DMB. The first thing that comes to my mind is really the Department of Motor Vehicles. So that's what I thought we we're talking about. <laughs> so that's why I was like still thinking about that. And then you pass it over to me. So hey, we're still talking about Boston. Uh, but but yeah, I think it's really cool. So if we could again the prospect of having the two two East Coast teams from the two major cities in the region coming into the league at the same time. And I think that's a, you know, it's a good opportunity for us to kind of jump in and maybe talk a little bit about expansion and specifically uh, what you guys would think would be a good op opportunities for rivalries within expansion. So, uh, Aaron, I know you'd uh, kind of put together a list of potential expansion teams in the next few years. What's uh, that look list look like right now? So let's see what we got. So 
Um, Chicago Lions was confirmed for 2019. They were originally a founding member of this when this thing kicked off, but their facility just won't be ready. So they're coming on in 2019. So we got Chicago Rugby Club New York, uh, this SF group, based on everything I've seen with uh, Jean-Baptiste Gobelet uh, running around the United States, uh, Boston Rugby, and uh, so we got one, two, um, and if you haven't seen it, Brian Ray broke a story about a new privately funded side out of Ontario called the Ontario Arrows. The uh, private group that is funding them has uh, secured the services of the Ontario Blues, so the province select side uh, coaching staff, and then they're going to put together a side, and they're going to go on, I would call a, what I would say is a tour of a bunch of Division One clubs. So we got five teams possibly for 2019, one in Canada. Interesting. Because uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Ontario Blue Ontario Blues organization has a larger annual budget than USA Rugby does. Jeez. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I once said to uh, one of our other friends, uh, Grant, "What if the state of Kentucky spent twenty million dollars on rugby?" Because that's that's Wales. That's like many of that's like Wales, right? Or New Zealand. So four point four million people. What if just the SRO spent twenty million dollars? Where would we be? Well, you'd have to figure out how to spend that twenty million first, which <laughs> Ontario Blues has actually done. Um, they're one of the few rugby unions and rugby organizations up there that actually have development plans. And when you look at some of the Canadian young Canadian ruggers that are coming to the fore. A lot of them are out of the Ontario group, and there's no surprise there. So you're going to see a lot of these guys, you know, getting contracts overseas where they can get contracts easier than Americans because they're still part of the Commonwealth. You're going to see, uh, you know, all kinds of different things happening in Ontario and maybe even Vancouver. Well, that was, I mean. Don't count Vancouver out because remember, Vancouver was was part. Well, Vancouver was part of a. the North American Pro Rugby Initiative back in 2012. So there's some money up there that still wants to be involved in in rugby. And if you know much about the North American Pro Rugby Initiative, uh, uh, it was Vancouver, it was Chang and San Jose, Glendale when it was still a municipality, not when it had private money, which they've learned their lesson from that, and the Strikers organization. So two of the two of the four NAPR organizations are still in this. One of them learned some lessons. All of them learned a lot of lessons out of that. And that's one of the reasons why Jeremy Turner kept pushing forward. That's one of the reasons why when they had the first MLR, hey, let's meet up and have a face-to-face talk about that, this, it was in Houston. Because Houston has been at the forefront of this all along, even though a lot of people just haven't really been knowing about it. That's one of the reasons why I I got into it back in 2011, 2012 is because I knew what was trying, what was going to happen just from my contacts here. And then after that, I just kept up with everything that was going on. So don't count Vancouver out, Ontario. That's going to be a big player when they come online. So that's going to be a team that everybody's going to want to have to beat. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the blues, not, not the arrows, but their select side, the provincial select side, what they're able to do against our top division one teams here this last year with guys that, you know, they're practicing intermittently from all across the province together. Maybe, you know, two of those weekends out of the month, they're practicing together. And then the next weekend they get on a bus to play old blue or they get on a plane to go play Glendale Raptors. At the, so their elite side, you know, and they're posting up like these would that select side would probably be the division one champion if they competed in the USA rugby championship pathway. So I, I mean, what comes out of Vancouver and what comes out of Ontario, I know that what is there is, is very good. And the coaching um, 
at their provincial levels is is also extremely professional and they're they're bring, developing highly technical players it's just you know they're having some selection issues right now up there i think that's why their coach got released <laughs> whoops <laughs> but um yeah so i'm not i think i think uh the ontario the the canadian teams i say 2019 for the arrows and then Vancouver in 2020 because we haven't heard anything from them. So I would, I'm being safe on my expansion. I don't want to double the league size in one year based on, uh, you know, lessons learned from say major league lacrosse having, you know, 12 teams and then going down to eight for like the middle part of their life. Uh, So just, just mark me on this. Uh, You may, you just may, see the Ontario Arrows playing in some marquee matches in, uh, against MLR teams in <laughs> January and February this year. All right, all right. Yeah. Hey, we'll take it. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So. Well, I, I uh, love the idea of a Vancouver expansion as well, just because that really bolsters that West Coast um, opportunities. You know, we already have Seattle coming in, and uh, if we get a couple California teams, who knows? Portland uh, could field something. Who knows? Uh, you know, any number of uh, cities up and down the coast there. Maybe even move into Arizona or New Mexico. That'd be fantastic eventually. So, as yeah. Aaron's saying, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely got a San Diego team coming on in 2018 instead of the Minneapolis idea. Uh, one fell through, the other picked up. Uh, and, and, the, and, you know, word is that the San Diego entity did pay their bond money and they paid in full and they're ready to go. So that's good news. It's good to hear. I mean, the, the SoCal rugby, Southern California is, is like when it comes to rugby is one of the strongest areas, just, just as much as the, the corridor is here in Texas. So I understand getting, you know, getting into your markets and digging deep. I just know that in San Diego, cost of living is a pain. Jeez. So, I mean, that's where, like, when it came to California teams, that's where my my hesitation was for the start of a league is, like, like living, you know, living is going to be rough. But, I mean, Americans do this all the time in other sports at the lower levels. I talk about single-A rugby. Uh, amongst rugby people all the time, not single A rugby, but single A baseball all the time, because guys will do the young dudes. I'm not talking about the older dudes, but the young guys will do tons of stuff to chase the dream. And that includes living on $8,000 a year playing baseball. So some of these guys, not all of them, but some of them will do the same for rugby. And that's the beginning because based on some conversations Grant and I have had there, the intent is to have a livable wage you know, within the the first five years of this league. So the moment there's a livable wage, you know, quality and players they attract from overseas will even, it will, it will just drive itself, you know? So I think. So guys, guys, I have to leave in a few minutes. uh, Go pick my kid up from touch practice. So, and uh, but I want I want to leave you guys with this uh, Monday morning, not tomorrow, but Monday week starts uh, the player orientation week for the Houston Strikers. They expect to have about forty professional rugby players in their offices going through uh, going through orientation. The first week is all orientation. It's medical baseline, concussion baseline. It's a uh, social media discipline. Uh, you know getting them sized up for uniforms and travel kit, all that kind of stuff is going to happen. And if you hear what I'm saying, you're hearing that they're treating this like a professional team. And, and when you listen to Jeremy Turner talk about what he wants to do, he wants this to be on par eventually with the premiership, with what you see down in super rugby, you know, the, we, the, the, the spectacle, the running rugby, the, the excitement, but also the professionalism and the community involvement. He wants that to happen here. And, and they're making every effort to do that. This is not anything like club rugby we know of. Okay. This is professionalism. These guys get it from the, get it from the word go. 
So I hope to be around some of their practices coming through the fall here and, and going out and, and uh, sitting in and watching some of them. I, I know I'm going to be welcomed at those. And uh, once I am, I hope to shoot a couple videos, maybe get those back to y'all and you guys can use them here on the show. Well, I'll tell you, Grant, uh, appreciate you coming on today. And we sure love to have you tell us how folks can, if they don't see the videos here, how they can see those videos on your sites, on your Facebook and Twitter. I know you're all over the place. So how do folks connect with you? Uh, so if you want to connect with me, you can go on Facebook to This Is Texas Rugby. Uh, that's one phrase, four, four words. This Is Texas Rugby or out on YouTube at, uh, or on Twitter at This Is TX Rugby, uh, which is there in my uh, tagline there. And uh, you can connect with me there. Uh, you can connect with me on Facebook or uh, just send me an email at grant.cole at gmail.com. Ask me some questions. That's fine there. Uh, when it comes to YouTube, pretty much... Pretty much all I do, I'm either going to put up on Facebook or, you know, it, I'm going to be uh, giving to Tori Rock. She's the social media guru for the Strikers and letting her run with it as well because, I mean, really, she knows much more about social media than I do, and she is a bundle of energy when it comes to this stuff. That's why you see so much, you know, that's all she does for for uh, for the Strikers is their their Facebook and their Twitter and all their other social media lines. She is uh, she's something else. So it's really refreshing to see that they have actually hired one person just to do that and a professional at that. Well, thanks for coming on, Grant. And uh, as the season comes on, hope to have you back. OK, and I hope to be back. And you guys, thank you for having me. And y'all have a great evening. I'll watch the rest of the show later. You got it. Have a great night, Grant. All right. Bye. Take care of yourself. So I thought that was awesome, guys. Uh, but uh, I know that the people at home want us to get on to the next topic. So uh, the next topic for us is uh, stadiums. And we don't really have a lot on stadiums so far. I, I always go back to what Diana Anderson, who is the uh, marketing director at Rugby United Marketing, uh, being run out of Infinity Park, which is the marketing firm for uh, Major League Rugby. And she talked in a in a very in-depth interview with Matt McCarthy some months ago about what the minimum requirements were for uh, a stadium at the time. And they may have shifted. We haven't heard, but she said at the time a 4,000 person, a 4,000 fan facility uh, was the minimum, which is about the size of infinity park. I think infinity park can expand a little bit and get to about 6,000. Uh, she can, you know, kick me later if I'm wrong, but, uh, and then the ability to broadcast and stream matches from professional and up-to-date press facilities. And then the ability to do fan activation. So fan activation is, is really a new term in the United States, but we actually do that very well with American sports between, uh, like, I wouldn't say, like, rewards memberships or anything, but, uh, you know, selling stuff, having contests, and all that fun stuff, fan participation within games. So we do a lot of that. If you saw the, uh, the Obets Fortress uh, lacrosse opening day, they did tons of fan activation, giving out free stuff. You know, everyone, so fan activation is like bobblehead nights, towel nights, and T-shirt nights, and then fans wearing those T-shirts and selling T-shirts, merch. Like basically, you know, making, it's the Strikers facility or it's the Austin facility, and they're all wearing that stuff. And then they're participating at halftime and doing certain things. So those were the big things that Diana Anderson explained uh, in her interview with Matt McCarthy. But so let's go into what I have for sizes right now. Um, the first phase of the Austin facility at Nixon Lane, and it's built for rapid expansion with this French company that they're working with and who you know, Austin Elite will give you anyone the contact to work with this company because whether it's a high school, a college that needs to, you know, do a fast build on a stadium at economical prices, and it's pretty amazing what their portfolio shows. So the first phase of Austin is going to be a 4,000-seat stadium at Nixon Lane, and like I said, built for expansion out to originally planned at 11,000. Uh, Houston first will play at Constellation Field, I do not know who their builder is, but their first phase for, for a 4,000 seat ground plus parking is scheduled to be open before April. 
So they haven't broken ground, thankfully, due to Hurricane Harvey, uh, as it would have sort of stranded uh, their construction crew out on what is basically termed as a mountain uh, in the south end of Houston because of it was all, it's already a site that's been filled due to excavation uh, previously on construction projects. They only need three months to complete phase one, so that's very important. So they'll be out of uh, Constellation Field before the baseball team gets home from spring training. And then we have Glendale Infinity Park, which I call the standard facility uh, in the league. They are just putting in a new strength and con conditioning building. And then the next project that is already underway is uh, where I we all believe uh, Rugby Utah Selects will play, and that is at the uh, Real Salt Lake Academy. The Real Salt Lake Academy will have multiple training pitches and the the game pitch, which I believe will be shared with the Real Monarchs. Their, uh, what is it, uh, USL Division II team is a, I believe it's an eight to 10,000 seat stadium currently under construction out in Harriman, Utah. Uh, the NOLA Gold previously stated uh, their GM, Ryan Fitzgerald, I think it is, uh, that they are building a 3,000-seat stadium. So that is a discrepancy. So there might have been a change. I don't know. So that is phase one. Uh, and we're trying to figure out what the exact minimums are for all of the other stuff because I think a 3,000, three to 4,000-seat uh, stadium in year one is about right. But it's all the fan activation and press facilities, broadcast facilities that are really important. So uh, we also want to take an opportunity here just to hit on some sports agency news. So we got some folks coming into the space, uh, setting up shop here in the U.S. and actually gone through and uh, are digging up some American players already. Aaron, you uh, I know you did some digging around and some reporting oh, yeah. on that this week. Yeah. So this is that? some great stuff. So there's a French sporting agency called DigiDust Sport. Uh, they uh, decided, uh, all, you know, we've already seen the professional rugby agency, which I believe is headquartered in the Denver area. They've already, with their press release on NOLA Gold, they signed Alex Tchaikovsky. Uh, so sports agencies are already taking a, a big, a big uh, you know, interest in this league. Uh, DigiDust Sport has over 100 players uh, in – uh, rugby players in France, which is, you know, awesome. So they decided to establish an American headquarters. I think this says a lot that they're going to hire also a rugby player. I think his name is Tag Leader. I don't really know how you pronounce this Irish name. So if he wants to also send me a correction, please do so in our email at earfulofdirt uh, at gmail.com. Tag Leader, he's a former Lindenwood player and current and I would say now former St. Louis Royals player. The St. Louis Royals also won the Division Three national title. He's moving down to Florida as the chief operating officer for their American headquarters. The first two signings happen to be uh, some relatively famous young names in the American uh, rugby space, and that is Malone Aljabouri and Saul Wuching. Uh, so, guys, what, what does that really say uh, about the, the – uh, the confidence and the stability of our league that we are talking about today. It hasn't even started. Seriously. Well, I'll tell you this. It says a lot compared to how pro rugby was, which didn't have something like this. Now, obviously, we're still not sure if Al Jabouri and, and Wujin are signing for an MR side, but if they are, it tells others the league is worth playing and, and that the payments will be made. That's another discussion uh I, I would just also say that uh i i think this is another step in the u.s as far as building the reputation of rugby in the states and just building our uh, credibility internationally to have uh international company like this set up shop here in, in the u.s and to be uh looking for that american talent as well as managing overseas talents from here is part of building the game in the states i think it's an important part and 
I think it can do nothing but benefit MLR. Um, even if the first few years we don't see a lot of uh, representation and signing, uh, that's going to come too. Um, and anytime we can get our boys uh, overseas to get them experience, that's just going to help the national team when they come back stateside and can bring some of that experience and some of that talent uh, that they've earned over in Europe or wherever they're playing. So I think it's nothing but a good thing. Uh, Aaron, I know you had some other thoughts. Um, so the founders uh, of DigiDest Sport uh, were Damien Dessau, Stefan Menoret, and Pierre-Olivier Carl. And Pierre agreed to come on the podcast sometime in the future. Uh, so it'll be great to talk to some sports agency folks and see what their confidence is in the league. And, you know, I think we've, we've, got, uh, we've got to hit up our, our favorite segment. And I, I say our favorite segment because it's always involved. It could involve trolling, but it's all about getting it done. Corey, with the tweet of the week. Yeah, I love how this was supposed to be a Dan's segment, and somehow I've inherited it. So we got to get him back on air so he can take this over from me. All right, guys. Uh, this, yeah, like uh, Aaron said, this is uh, one of our favorite things already. So it's that special time of the week where I get to read out an emoji laden tweet. Uh, this time around, we're going to go ahead and uh, head northwest. Welcome the Seattle Sea Wolves to the Twitterverse. Uh, they've recently started becoming more and more active as uh, that team's getting underway and getting some planning done. And uh, this week, they actually uh, retweeted a quote from uh, the Seahawks coach. So kind of trading sides there, going a little football on us, uh, from Pete Carroll, who it was quoted as saying, stay hungry, remain humble, and get better today. And to emphasize the quote, when they retweeted it, first they, uh, put up a fist emoji, very necessary. So fist emoji at Pete Carroll, hashtag Seattle, hashtag rugby, hashtag MLR, and then finished with a rugby ball. And then the quote. So again, <laughs> let's just go through that. Fist, tag at Pete Carroll, at, uh, hashtag Seattle, hashtag rugby, hashtag MLR, <laughs> rugby ball emoji. Nice, nice. It is. We also like to uh, spend a little time hitting up some rumors and some news just from around the league. So, Aaron, what you got going on this week? So, um, everyone knows, like we talked about, uh, I wouldn't say it was broken on here, but it was discussed on Reddit about uh, the the opening fixture of uh, the Strikers on January 6th at Constellation Field. No idea who the opponent is. Maybe it's the Ontario Arrows. Probably high quality opponent. That's what they want. However, here's the good stuff. Uh, they're going to play three fixtures against Texas Division One clubs in November and December. Uh, the The format seems a lot like the All Blacks Counties match, which is like two 20 minute halves or separated into uh, you know quarters. And what's funny about that is that's how. Sonny Bill Williams got to play in the first match of the Blood is Slow and take that massive concussion, <laughs> you know, uh, against Australia. Instead of having to be suspended for that match, he got credit for the All Blacks versus Counties match. So, uh, Victor, you've got something juicy or it might be something throwaway. I'm not sure. Well, Aaron, I think that's ju it's juicy, but you tell me once I tell you. So at the end of a local news article uh, from Gazette Sport, the Belmont Shore director of rugby, Tony Balasuriya, which I just found out is last name from Sri Lanka, stated they were looking at it, at starting a professional side, which is not too shabby. They were uh, they were a member of the old Super League, if some of you remember back from the 90s to the 2000s, and the structure fits with what MLR is looking for. And again, they already have that uh, former uh, professional league uh, experience, if you may. Yeah, I think uh, as far as a community program, you're looking at uh, one of the strongest clubs in SoCal from, you know, from the LA area to the San Diego County area. And, you know, MLR has completely stated that supportive community rugby whether it was cash or action, uh, has been uh, a big, a big thing. So I think, 
if of any club in LA, Belmont Shore is one that can easily sustain uh, a professional side because they have multiple sides, multiple youth sides, multiple high school sides, a women's side, and, you know, a big coaching staff to fill all that out. So, you know, it, it could be juicy or it could be connected to another SoCal team that's going to launch or it could be throwaway. I'm not sure. It was just at the end of an article on a Friday news dump. Now, that's really interesting, though. Anytime uh, we're getting news out of the L.A. region, I think that's valuable to discuss because it's one of the big three markets that we got to get established in. So I'm still holding out hope for my uh, Chicago Lions coming on soon. So I'd love to see NYC and L.A. on that list. So what do you guys the say? Aviator, Charlie. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, maybe that'll happen someday, too. They got a hell of a stadium there in Obet, so... You build a stadium and you have no one to fill it with? Come on, bring that back some, some Ohio love. Yep. So, guys, I think it's time for some questions from Bob. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Uh, this week, Bob Boberson wants to know, which position in the U.S. would benefit most from mentorship from, a foreign, from foreign players? So who would uh, really get the most out of having overseas players come here and teach our ruggers how to play? I mean, I'm not a prop, but I'm a front row guy. I'm a cook, hooker. And for me, so like uh, the halves and the props. So both the, the number nine and number 10, the scrum half and the fly halves, and then the tight head and the loose head are really the most technical uh, positions on the field. And Dan, you know, Dan said flanker, you know, Dan's not here, so that ain't going to work. But, uh, you know, you, you can't – a lot of people think, and this is what he said in his notes, a lot of think, people think you can just stick, you know, some big guys up in, up in the front row at tight head and loose head. And the reality is, is it's much – like uh, offensive and defensive linemen. And it's very important. Like you, it's not a true conversion because people think people talk about the line and football is not being skilled players, but we're talking the offensive and defensive line are very like, there's very hard skills in football, just as much. So in, in rugby, like props sometimes are an afterthought, but scrummaging skills are some of the most technical skills on the field. So though like that technical coaching is what's going to be important and that and technical older players, it's what's going to be really important because the reality is, is that's where we're losing our matches is in the scrum. Nick. I completely agree with those positionings as well, Aaron, both the, the props, the, the hookers, scrum half, fly half, definitely. And, and it's true that, for for the U.S. Eagles, that's where we're losing most of our games and where we're getting most of our penalties in the scrum. I mean, just look at that that Ireland game, the Georgia game. We got destroyed. Heck, the first Canada game also. So yeah, I completely agree that those those positions, especially the the front row, the U.S. Eagles right now. Bob was also asking about a preseason, uh, and I know we kind of hit on that a little bit earlier. Uh, if we look at uh, plus or minus two games for a preseason setup ahead of uh, the MLR season. But uh, Aaron, did you have anything to add to that? So he said like plus or minus two. I think we're going to look at um, just the way you do the add addition by some, not really addition by subtraction, but addition by addition of the premiership because during the, uh, like during the six nations over that seven week period, they also have the Anglo Welsh cup which aren't throwaway games for guys that don't make those sides. So a bunch of Americans get plenty of opportunities to make it. And that's how Joe Tofate became a starter for Wooster. But you're going to see during the ARC window, a bunch of preseason matches but right now, just for November and December, the strikers confirmed three fixtures. So I'm going to say plus or minus is six, uh, three before Christmas and three after Christmas. Before, like, before you even face an MLR side, plus, or, like, the line is six. That's what I'm saying. That's interesting, Victor. What do you think? Yeah, just about, yeah, just about the numbers. Yeah, about, yeah, about two or so, definitely. But I do hope 
the, the games are with obviously with opposition from the league, so it's like like to whet up appetite to a certain extent. But I'm not opposed to games against the one sides or having teams for kind of like the like the arrows or the BC Bears coming down. So for preseason, yeah. I can also see that as an opportunity to start testing out some of these uh, premier sides or, you know, semi-pro sides for teams that are looking at expansion. So let's, you know, let's say San Fran or someplace like that wants to come in in the next few years and they start an elite squad, but it's not uh, fully professional yet. It might be the chance we see for them to kind of start working in, start getting to know that style of play and, get to know the places they're going to play ahead of actual launch. So thanks. I think there's some real possibilities there, uh, especially right now at the beginning when things are still a little squishy, not quite so formalized. Well, guys, I think we're wrapping up here. So uh, we do have a quick correction from last week's show. So uh, what's what's going on with that? So how do you say O'Shea Kalinisau? O'Shea, O'Shea Kalinisau. So we've got, I, I know it's Tchaikovsky, but yeah, Kwasniewski or something. Kwasniewski. Kwasniewski. Okay, cool. Kwasniewski. All right. You still said it wrong, but that's okay. We really got to work on this uh, before uh, things get serious around yes, here. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> also, so, real quick, uh, real quick, guys. Yinkuye, um, uh, uh, or thank you to my friend Maggie from Poland who helped me with the pronunciations. So thank you, Maggie. All right. Outstanding. Um, so shout out to Maggie. Shout out to Baylor Rugby thank Club. You. I saw you guys practicing yesterday when I went and saw uh, my uh, girlfriend's uh, alma mater get their butt beat in by uh, Liberty University. Uh, so I dislike Liberty, which we can get into on another podcast. But if you're a Liberty rugger, good for you. Um, so that's all I got, guys. Uh, oh, I think uh, Corey, you're gonna you're gonna tell the fans about our schedule change. Here's the deal. Um, we've been talking it through, and I think. Kind of, there's several reasons for this, but we're going to switch to a Monday night schedule from a Sunday night schedule. So uh, update your calendars. Go ahead and uh, be ready to chill with us on Monday nights, and then the shows will be loaded Monday night into Tuesday, and it'll be ready for your Tuesday morning commute. So, yeah, uh, that's that's nothing's changing with the format, and we're still working towards getting this thing down to an hour. We'll we'll get there eventually. We're a lot closer this week than we were last week. So, uh, yeah. Just stay tuned. And uh, so I'm going to switch over and I'll let you guys talk for just a couple minutes. Anything or just a minute here. Anything else you wanted to say before we close out the show? Victor? Yeah, quickly, two things. First, in case we're wondering about uh, Dan, because we didn't even mention him at the beginning of the show. I'm sorry, Dan. He's kind of busy. Uh, for those of you that are not American, this week uh, of um, for September 4th is, is Labor Day here in the States. So he went uh, with the family. So hope he's having a lot of fun. And of course, happy Labor Day for those of you not working tomorrow, Monday. So I did the math. Dan gets a pass for this week because he put in work. Last week, he no longer gets a pass because he went to see The Lion King. So Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan put in some work. So uh, I think that uh, is about it for us. Uh, Corey, take us out. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us. 